I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet today. Hopefully I can. Um, so I thought last week, what did you think of Rachel's talk last week on grace? I thought it was so good, powerful. Um, the last month, the Lord's been really drilling deep inside of me a fresh thing about grace and about righteousness, and it's been really exciting and fun. Um, it started because I was laying in my bed, I don't know if it's afternoon or, or morning, but I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, and this um, video of Joseph Prince was playing on the feed, and, I, and I've seen Joseph Prince, which is this guy. Um, I've seen his picture. I've seen him preaching thousands of times before. I've never, ever in my whole life listened to what he had to say. <laughs> like, just flick on by, you know? Oh, I'm sure he's great. Never, never cared to find out anything about him. Well, so this randomly, a month ago, I'm scrolling through, and there he is, and I'm compelled to click on it. So I click on it, I start listening, and I'm like, wow, that's a really good word. Oh, my goodness, yes, that's, yes, I wholeheartedly agree, this is awesome. And then, next thing I know, I'm listening to a couple other clips of his. Next thing I know, uh, I feel like the Lord is like, you need to get his book. I'm like, what book? <laughs> so I go to Amazon, and I start looking at his books, and he's talking about how this one book is called Destined to Reign. Um, this, if he could only write one book in his whole life, this would be the one. And it was like 20 years in the making of God teaching him about grace and righteousness. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, you better buy it. Buy it now. You need to get it. You need to read it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so all in a matter of like two minutes, <laughs> um, I've ordered this book, and it'll be here tomorrow, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, that was weird. What just happened to me? Um, so the book shows up. I start reading. And again, I know nothing about this guy. I know he has cool hair, and that's kind of about all. Um, I'm sure I'd made some assumptions that were not true about him based on how cool he is. Um, so anyway, I start reading it, and goodness, it is, is powerful. And all of a sudden, I'm reading the first, I'm reading the foreword, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And he's talking about how he's been preaching grace um, for years and years and years in his church, and then the Lord like smashed him and changed the way he taught and how it affected him and then his church and all these things. And, and I just really, it went deep in my heart. So all that to say, uh, I'm, I'm not done with it. I don't know how it ends, so I can't fully endorse it. But the first half is great, and it's doing great things inside of me. If you're interested in learning more about grace, I encourage you to go get this book. Um, and so it's been stirring up inside of me. I think I've had the right in general, the right understanding of righteousness and grace for a long time. I think I've taught it several times, and, you know, sure, it's all good. But something different this time about what the Lord's doing inside of my heart. So, Rachel killed it last week, and the only thing all week I could keep thinking is, I don't have a clue what to talk about, but the only thing that kept coming to mind is grace. And so, I don't know how long we're going to talk about grace, but today we're talking about grace and righteousness. And um, anything I say today that's good it's not my thoughts, okay? It's not some great revelation that Grant has had. If you think, wow, that's powerful, it's not mine. It's probably a direct quote from this book, <laughs> quite honestly. If you think, oh, that's not very good, that was, that's, that was me, okay? You can blame me. If you don't like it, blame me. If you love it, um, it's this guy. So um, I, all I want to do is just convey some of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me through what I'm learning here. Fair enough? Okay, so these are not my thoughts. These are things that the Lord's teaching me through Joseph Prince in a fresh way. All right, let's open up to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. 
Father, we just invite you. I'm asking that every word that comes out of my mouth would be from you, that you would guide and direct every single thought, every single word. And I'm asking that the things that you're doing inside of me, that you would do inside this house, you would do inside this body, it would go deep inside of all of our hearts, and that we would corporately be changed by grace in Jesus' name. Okay, Romans 5.17 says this, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Amen? We'll read it again. For if by the one man's offense, who's the one man? Adam, okay? For if by Adam's offense death reigns over man, how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life, okay? So if death reigns because of Adam's sin, but we have life because of what Jesus did for us, and we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, how much more do you get to reign in life? Hallelujah. Say it with me. Abundance of grace, gift of righteousness. So the word reign here used in Romans 5.17, it's from the Greek And it's the word in English that we have the word basilica. So in ancient Rome, a basilica was used as a court of law. All right? So reigning is connected with courts of law. It refers to a kingly judicial rule. In other words, to reign here is to reign in life as a king and to have a kingly rule and to possess kingly dominion. That's what that word reign means. It means that how much more will you reign like a king in life? Okay, so this is directly from Joseph Prince. He says, if you are living a life of defeat, of being defeated by sin, by perpetual guilt and condemnation, by sickness, by anxiety attacks, by financial lack, and by broken relationships, you are not living the life that God intended for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Based on the authority of God's word, you are destined to reign in life as a king and to have kingly dominion over all of your challenges and circumstances. You were called to be above them and not trampled by them. The time has come for you to stop abdicating your right to reign in life. Amen? Amen. And I know that can sound a little, um, you are not living the life God made for you. Like, whoa, okay, whoa, dude, chill out, sorry. But think about it. God intended for you to live a life as a king, reigning with him in his kingdom. Like, praise God you're not living the life he intended for you, because if you were, what a terrible God. (laughs) Like, who wants to serve a God that wants you to live in a junky life? No, he's got amazing plans for you, plans, amazing plans for you to enjoy life and to walk with him and get to rule with him, co-heirs with Christ. The Bible states very clearly that we are to reign in life through Jesus Christ just by receiving two things from him. Number one, the abundance of grace. Number two, the gift of righteousness. So what are the two things that you have to receive in order to reign? The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. God's ways are contrary to man's ways. I love this. I read this a few weeks back, but we're going to read it again and again and again. (laughs) 
God's ways are contrary to man's ways. You see, man thinks that for God to bless him, he needs to deserve or to earn God's merit or to merit God's favor and blessings by his own effort. Man thinks that God's blessings are based on his performance and good works. However, this is not God's way. His way is not about achieving, but receiving. He promised that when we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Praise God. So I want to take just a second. I want to slow it down. Because I don't know about y'all, but for me, some of these concepts are like, whoa, (laughs) help me. Get it in there. So Jesus talks about in John 10.10. He says, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come that you can have life and live it abundantly. That's Jesus' desire and plan for you. And so Jesus is saying, I came to have, to give you, as a gift, an abundant life. And now we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, that the key to receiving the abundant life are two things. Receiving the abundance of grace and the everybody say it with me to receive the abundance of grace and the that was better one more time to receive the and the hallelujah if you want abundant life if you want a good life on earth reigning like a king co-heirs with him, the key to that is to receive from him. It has nothing to do with what you do. Hallelujah. Amen? So to enjoy that abundant life that Jesus promises us, it's not just eternal life, but it's good things, all good things in God. Abundant life here and now, all his blessings poured out on you, To receive those blessings, it has nothing to do with doing and everything to do with receiving. Okay? We're going to read it one more time. The Bible states very clearly that we are to reign in life through Jesus Christ by receiving two things. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. God's ways are contrary to man's ways. Man thinks that for God to bless him, he needs to deserve, earn, and merit God's favor and blessings by his own efforts. And man thinks that God's blessings are based on his performance and good works. However, this is not God's way. His way is not about achieving, but about receiving. And he promised that when we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign. What it doesn't say is that you need to learn to receive grace for your sins and then work really hard following a bunch of rules to stay right with God. Okay? And what I want to attack head on, because I think um, probably for a lot of people, when we think about grace, it's easy to apply grace to salvation, and it's harder to apply grace with the rest of Christian living. Okay? So for me, you know, for years I've preached grace in preaching the gospel. 
you know, talking to someone, hey, what do you think is going to happen when you die? Go to heaven or hell? What happens? And they're like, I don't know. If I live a good enough life, it's, you know, probably get to heaven. If I live a bad life, I'll probably go to hell. And I'll be like, no, it's not a scale system. It has nothing to do with that. Look, even if you've sinned one time, one tiny little time, it's like this. If I took a perfect Dr. Pepper and I put a little piece of thing in it and I messed it up, would it be perfect Dr. Pepper anymore? No. Okay, it's like that. Look, you have to accept Jesus. It's not about doing anything. It's not about living. Just accept. Just receive. And like, yeah. But then too often in the Christian faith, we're like, receive Jesus. Yeah. Okay, great. Now that you've received Jesus, you got to do this. you got to do that. you got to do this. you got to do that. You better stay good. You better be, the Bible says be holy because God's holy too. You better be holy. <laughs> right? And, like, we, we flip it back in our fleshly minds of, okay, well, that's good. Now we're in heaven. That's good. But now we have to do things to receive God's blessing, and to, we've got to do things to receive uh, his favor. Okay? Here's the formula. You want more God's favor? Do X, Y, Z, and there you go. Right? But that's not how God works. That's, that's not reality. Oh, you terrible sinner. Accept Jesus and know that he's already paid for all your sins. And once you do, then be sure to uphold the law of God so you can enjoy the abundant life he promised you. Right? Everybody say no. Everybody say boo. So what if the abundant life that Jesus promised you in John 10.10 has nothing to do with doing and everything to do with receiving a gift? Amen? So don't get me wrong, I, I wholeheartedly believe in sowing and reaping. I wholeheartedly believe that God has created universal laws and that if you go along with the universal laws, amazing things happen. And if you don't, amazing things don't happen, right? That's a whole side of it. But it's too easy to blur the line of receiving the gift of righteousness and, and working to fulfill those universal laws you know with me so it was this morning the lord is speaking to me about this let's imagine that river again flowing out of god's heart it's a beautiful river and inside of that river are all of his love all of his blessing all of his favor all good things are in that river thanks to jesus everybody has access to the river Okay, and I don't want to talk about this too long because we'll probably talk about it again later on. But here's the picture that the Lord gave me. He, he said, look, anybody can go in and freely access those blessings and favor and goodness of God. You can go in the river and enjoy it. Just stand there and, and really enjoy it. You have to do nothing to be able to go into the water. Okay. But there's a difference between the person that walks into the river and is enjoying just playing around, bathing in it, and then another person who is brought with them into the river, a bucket. Right? Now, the person with the bucket has more capacity than the person without the bucket to hold or to handle the gifts that God has flowing out of his heart. Okay? And maybe to get that bucket, that person had to work a little, like go to the hardware store and buy a bucket and carry it with him into the river, okay? 
It's a totally different concept that I don't want to talk about today, but the two do go together, okay? It's not about doing, it's about receiving. And still, sowing and reaping still applies. Universal laws still apply, but they work beautifully together, not in a works mentality, okay? I probably just confused everybody. Praise God. Let's look at another concept. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. We can talk more about it later if you want to. But I think we will talk more about it later. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. It says, but this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Amen? So it says that Jesus dies on the cross. He finishes his work. He goes up to heaven, and he sits down next to God. Raise your hand if you've ever wondered or, like, paused to think about why did Jesus sit down? Anybody? For me personally, I usually just kind of skip over it. Like, oh, yeah, he sat down. Now he's with God. What's the big deal? We all sit down all the time. But the interesting thing that I want to point out is that in the tabernacle of Moses, in the temple, in the olden days, in the days of the old covenant, the priest was to minister all day long, okay? When, when it was time to go before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, he was standing and working all day long. There was no chairs inside the tabernacle of Moses. There's a table, there's a menorah, there's... A few things inside the presence of the Lord, but there's not one chair in the tabernacle of Moses. Because the priest, his job was never done before the Lord. He had to continually work and and keep atonement and keep God happy, if you will. No time to sit down. No chairs inside the presence of the Lord. But Jesus on the cross, he's hanging on the cross and he screams out, It is finished! And he literally meant every single word of it is finished. Okay? Pleasing God 100%. Making atonement 100%. is completely 100% finished. And so what's he do when he gets to heaven? He goes up, and guess what? There's a chair next to God, and he sits down. And he hangs out. Work is done. There is literally no more work to be done. Amen? So Jesus sat down to demonstrate to us that the work is indeed finished. And this is so contrary to what the Jews knew because they could never sit down. But that's not all that Jesus did. Not only did he go and sit down himself, but Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Woo! Amen? That deserves an amen. So look, there is literally nothing left for you to do. When you get to heaven... And even currently now, Jesus is sitting down with God, chilling, because the work is done. And he forces you to sit with him in the heavenly places because there's no other work that you can do to make yourself right before God. It's finished. It's done. Completely finished because of the gift of righteousness. 
Your righteousness has nothing to do with what you do. It's 100% about receiving the gift of righteousness, which is Jesus. Amen? All right. Look at one more concept. Rachel shared this analogy last week about the mortgage being paid off. And I thought it was so profound and so incredibly true. And uh, it was the picture of the debt collector coming and trying to get you to pay something that you've already paid in full. <clears throat> so we know that Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. He's constantly accusing us before God and accusing us directly of our sins, trying to separate us from God. So she shares that picture. And what was cool is the book actually shares the same analogy, which she didn't know and I hadn't talked to her about. But it is almost verbatim. So here's what it says. When you've fulfilled your debt to the bank for the mortgage on your house, my advice to you is to stop sending in your monthly payments because the debt has already been fulfilled. And if the bank sends you a letter demanding more payment from you, all you have to do is produce the title deed to your home. Hallelujah. Amen? I hope that all of you someday get to have that pleasure of being done with the mortgage. In the same sense, the debt that you and I are owed to the law has already been fulfilled by our Savior Jesus Christ. And when the devil comes to accuse you with the law and shows you how you've fallen short and failed, all you have to do is point to the payment that Jesus made for you on the cross. Christ is your title deed, which is why you are called a Christian today. You are not your own. You have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and the law has no hold over you anymore. Amen? You probably know that the issue of nuclear disarmament is a big issue in the world today, right? With uh, North Korea craziness going on, with Iran and all these crazy things going on, it's a big deal. But are you aware that there's someone more sinister who has already been disarmed? I love this. This isn't me. This is Joseph. The Bible says that God has disarmed principalities and powers. And we know from Ephesians that principalities and powers refer to Satan and his cohorts. So the devil has already been disarmed. All right? But have you ever thought to question what weapon was the devil armed with in the first place? Okay? He's the accuser of the brethren. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Amen? I'll read it again. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, the law that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken the handwriting of requirements out of the way, having nailed the handwriting of requirements to the cross, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over the devil in the handwriting of requirements. Okay? So based on the context of the verse, the devil was armed with the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What was the handwriting of requirements? On Mount Sinai, when God wrote the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets with his hand, the finger of God. Handwriting of requirements. Okay? So the devil armed himself with the law to accuse and condemn you 
because he knew you will never be able to live up to it. That was his weapon. That was his one and only weapon. And God took it away. Amen? Now listen carefully to this. God did not give the law to arm the devil, but the devil, knowing that the law was against man, took advantage of it and has been using it against man. The law always condemns and keeps man away from God. And hence the devil uses it as his weapon to further alienate man from God. And that's why when God nailed it to the cross, nailed the law to the cross, he made a public spectacle of the devil and all the powers of darkness because they had their weapon taken away. And once the law was nailed to the cross, God knew that the law no longer had the power to condemn man as long as he believed on Jesus. And therefore, when you know and believe that Jesus has fulfilled completely the righteous requirements of the law, the devil cannot use the law to condemn you every time you fail. And even if he uses the law and points to your sins today, you can point back to the cross of Jesus and reject that condemnation. Isn't that good? Okay. Main point today is this. Righteousness is a gift. Everybody say it with me. Righteousness is a gift. It is not the reward for perfect obedience to the law. There's nothing you can do to be righteous before God except receive the gift of righteousness. And in the same way, there's nothing you can do to receive more love from God. There's nothing you can do to receive more blessing or more favor or more things from God because it's the gift. All you have to do is receive the gift of righteousness, okay? So then notice the strategy here for the devil is to deceive the believer into believing that righteousness is something that you need to achieve by keeping the law perfectly. And it all sounds very good to the flesh, but if that is so, then the promise of the gift of righteousness is completely thrown out the window. The devil is very crafty. He has no problem with righteousness, right? Devil loves righteousness. He has no problem with you being righteous, he loves it when you feel like you must be righteous before God. Yeah, heck yeah, go be righteous. But what he has a problem with is the gift of righteousness. He wants you to work hard to be righteous, which is the opposite of the gift of righteousness. And you can never do anything to earn your righteousness, okay? But he tries to deceive you into pursuing your own righteousness through the law, and he wants you to depend on your own self-righteousness. And so he throws out that little word gift from the phrase, the gift of righteousness, and then it gives you a false impression that you are responsible for earning your own righteousness through your own works and self-efforts instead of depending on the finished work of Jesus. There are many believers who are very sincere about keeping the law and earning their own righteousness, but I'm sorry to say they are sincerely wrong. God's way is by grace. Righteousness cannot be earned by good works. It can only come as a gift, and a gift is no longer a gift if you have to work for it, right? So what if I told you, hey, great news. I just had delivered in the parking lot a brand new gift for you. It's a shiny new red Ferrari. Hallelujah beautiful. It's amazing. It sounds incredible. It's a gift for you. The only condition is that you need to pay me $20,000 a month, every month, till the day you die. Is it a gift? Heck no, it's not a gift, right? A gift 
is not something that you have to work for, okay? The gift of righteousness has been given to you. All you have to do is receive it. You're completely forgiven, and from the moment you receive Jesus into your life, you will never be held liable for your sins ever again. You've been made as righteous as Jesus as through your behavior, but by faith in him and his finished work on the cross. That one's challenging to the flesh for sure, but I want to read it again because it's so true. You are completely forgiven from the moment you receive Jesus in your life, and you will never be held liable for your sins ever again. You have been made righteous, as righteous as Jesus, not through your behavior, but by faith in him and his finished work on the cross. Amen? So therefore, righteousness before the Lord can't be earned, and your righteousness, your righteous standing or right standing before him can only be received as a gift. Today, your right to be righteous is a blood-bought right, and there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do that will make him love you any less. He loves you perfectly, and he sees you clothed with Jesus' righteousness. So begin to see yourself clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Amen? Let's stand up together. And I just want to meditate for a moment on that. So if you will, one more time, just close your eyes. And just silently in your heart, just thank God that you don't have to do anything to be right in his eyes. And then I want you to picture yourself sitting next to Jesus with nothing to do to be right before God. Just kick your feet up on the throne and just thank God. Thank Jesus. And then one more time, just picture that river of all of his love, all of his goodness, all of his blessings, all of his favor, and you have to do nothing to be able to enjoy all of that goodness. So just walk on in, in your mind, and just receive that goodness. Let it wash all over you. And now just repeat after me. Say, thank you, Father, for this gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace through Jesus. Today, I receive that righteousness. I receive that gift. I am 
The righteousness of Christ. I receive all of the blessings that come with that. I'm so thankful to you. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Uh, Go get your kiddos. Have an amazing week. And we'll see you later.